We turn in our service now to the reading of God's Word. And uh, for those who've been here for a good bit of the summer, you know that we've been in the book of Exodus, following God's people on their journey. And today that journey comes to an end as far as the book of Exodus is concerned. We're going to finish up with our reading today, the closing words of Exodus 40. So let's hear these words. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was on it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. The word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, we have journeyed through the book of Exodus, and we end that study of your word today. We thank you for the truths that you have shared with us there. We thank you, Lord, that you have been with us on our journey, whatever that may be. And now as uh, Andrew comes to the pulpit, we pray that your spirit would just rest on him and enable him to be able to declare your word clearly and help that word to take root in our hearts that we may not only be informed, but that we may be formed to be more to your likeness. And Lord, wherever we go, whatever our journey is, may we as your tabernacles, be filled with your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, I'm a little sad. I've enjoyed Exodus and uh, not necessarily looking forward to moving away from it, although Philippians has been really good. been diving into that, and that's what we're going to take up in a couple of weeks. You guys ever had that, um, you know, that time when you're walking through the kitchen, you're opening every cupboard, you're in the refrigerator, you're hungry, but you don't know what you're hungry for. Uh, you, you've got that, you've got a yearning for something, and you can't quite put your finger on it. C.S. Lewis, in his uh, wonderful sermon, The Weight of Glory, I trust many of you are familiar with it, at least the fact that it exists, uh, he talks about this inconsolable secret that we have. And he says in his preaching, I'm trying to rip open that inconsolable secret in each one of you. It's that secret that hurts so much that you take your revenge on it by calling it names like nostalgia or romanticism or adolescence. The secret which also pierces with such sweetness. The secret we cannot hide and we cannot tell though we desire to do both. It's that feeling that we're, we're hungry for something, but we just can't lay our fingers on it. 
He goes on to say, he says, this is our longing to be reunited with something in the universe from which we feel cut off, to be on the inside of some door which we've always seen from the outside, and to at last be summoned inside would be both glory and honor beyond all our merits and also would be the healing of that old ache. I mean, he writes with such beauty there as he talks about that longing that we have. And I was thinking about that in context of Exodus because we've been longing throughout the book of Exodus for God to be in the midst of his people. For God to take up residence there, for God to dwell, that, that was the longing of the people and there's been so many ups and downs. There's been uh, the enslavement of the early chapters, the, the sin of the middle chapters. You know, will God ever come and dwell within the midst of His people? And here, finally, in Exodus chapter 40, at the very end of the book, we see the presence of God come and fill the tabernacle in the midst of the camp, right in the center. There is the presence of God. It's interesting. I, I love the way that Alec Motier talks about Exodus. He says it moves from cloud to cloud. Here are his words. The dark shadow of enslavement lay on the people of God in the opening chapters. The bitter cry of bereavement as their sons were snatched from them for the river. The blows of the taskmaster, a future without hope. Uh, the relentless, uncaring policy of genocide. They were at that time a people under a cloud. Now, at the end of the book, they're again a people under a cloud, but this time it's the cloud of the Lord, the signal of His presence in glory, holiness, and grace. Between these two clouds, the sovereign Lord of the whole earth had routed all of the power of the enemy, granted His people deliverance, brought them to Himself by the blood of a lamb, graced them with His directive law, and come in the fullness of His person to take up residence in their midst as an indwelling God. What, what a picture. You know, sometimes we get so caught with these Old Testament books and, and we miss the significance. We miss the story that they're telling us and they're inviting us to be a part of. And, and my hope and my prayer is that as we've kind of gone through Exodus over the last several weeks and months, that we've been drawn into that story and we've seen how, of course, Christ has fulfilled it and taken it even a step farther, has opened the door, as it were, a, a crack wider so that we see that which our hearts have been longing for. So this morning, I want to look at those last uh, four or five verses of Exodus that Bob read for us, uh, but I want to set it in the context, you know, sort of as Motier talks about, between the two clouds. So we're moving from darkness to light, uh, and let's just remind ourselves of the darkness. There, there's two things that uh, I think the darkness is, is understood as, first of all, there's the darkness out there. 
And that is, of course, the, the darkness of Egypt, the darkness of the enslavement, the genocide, all that was going on for the Israelites. They were a slave nation. Their burdens were great. Their groanings were great. There was a great darkness that settled over the people of God. And of course, you know, as we walked through this a little bit this morning in our time of renewal, we recognize that there is a darkness out there in our world. This is the darkness that we are not necessarily culpable for. We can't confess the darkness of war one person against another. We can't confess the darkness of uh, viruses and pestilence, of hurricanes and uh, earthquakes. We, we can't confess those things, but we lament them. We lament them because we know that there is evil in this world. We know that the darkness out there is very real. It is very tangible. It affects us in so many ways. It impinges upon us. But we also know from Exodus that there is a darkness in here. Uh, and we saw that so clearly in Exodus 32, did we not? 99 days after they saw the power of God deliver them from the hand of the Egyptians, the most mighty nation on the earth, the world's superpower at that time, God leads them out. And a mere 99 days after that, they have forsaken the true and the living God and they have built for themselves and are worshiping idols, idols of power, idols of success, idols of gold, idols of sexuality and wanton cravings, all of these things. The darkness isn't only out there. The darkness is also in here. And we recognize that, and, and this is where we not only lament, but we confess. We, we have to come before God, and we have to say, Lord, I am so much like these Israelites. My, my heart is so slippery. You know, in the face of your mighty deliverance, in the face of your amazing grace, it just takes but a moment of waiting. It just takes a moment of not seeing Moses, the mediator. It just takes a moment, and my heart is seeking out all sorts of other things. You know, this is, you think about the darkness out there, and you think about the darkness that resides in our own hearts. It, it gives us a clear picture of the need that we have. We need a deliverance. We need a deliverer uh, who can address both the darkness out there and the darkness in here. Of course, the Exodus story, you know, is leading us into the very palisades of Yahweh, the one who does both. He is the one who delivers them from the Egyptians. Fear not. Stand firm for these Egyptians that you see today, you will never see again, Yahweh says. He, he has the power to defeat the darkness that is out there. He has the ability to crush it underneath His foot. 
He is the conqueror, the deliverer that we need. But he is also the one who can take care of the darkness in here. Because he, he knows that it's going to take blood. You know, in Exodus chapter 12, when the Israelites, uh, along with all of Egypt, and again, Egyptians were invited to this, the foreigners that were within uh, the land also enslaved in Egypt were invited to this, take a lamb sacrifice that lamb without blemish. Take some of the blood. Put the blood over the lintel of your house. Uh, allow that to be your deliverance so that when the angel of death comes and executes judgment, righteous judgment for refusing to bow to the Lord, he will pass over. And of course, that blood of the Lamb points us to the one who is Jesus, whose very blood causes this expiation, this propitiation, this covering over of our guilt so that we can be delivered not only from what is out there, but also from what is in here. And, and, and this is what God has been working with the people, whether it's Exodus 24 and His sealing of the covenant and the blood that is thrown on the altar. It's the sacrificial system that He begins to out, outline in, in Exodus 25 to 31 uh, that will be fully consummated in Leviticus. It, it's the blood of the Lamb that covers the guilt of our sin. Pollution, the darkness out there, guilt, the darkness in here. And this is so clearly dealt with at the cross. You know, when we come to the cross of Christ, and this is really important for us to think about because Exodus is telling the same story as the New Testament. And, and when we come to the New Testament, we say, oh yes, I understand this because I know the Old Testament. I, I know the story that is there. So when we come to the cross of Christ and, and we read in Colossians chapter 2, for instance, where Paul says this about the work of Christ, you who were dead in your trespass and the uncircumcision of your flesh, the darkness in here... God made alive together with Christ, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. You know, this he set aside by nailing it to the cross. If you've grown up in the church, if you're familiar with the story, you probably have this sense of atonement. The cross took away our sin, righteous Jesus dying in place of unrighteous us is the thing that wipes us clean. It, it cancels our debt. And so now we can stand before a holy God unblemished. We can stand before a holy God righteous. It's, it's the beauty of the gospel. But notice Paul doesn't stop there. He said he set aside this record of debt that stood against us and he disarmed the rulers and the authorities the principalities and powers, and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Christ. You see, he doesn't only deal with the darkness in here, but he also deals with the darkness out there. 
And both of these are central to the ministry of the cross. You cannot have the one without the other. And if you're a careful thinker, maybe if you just stop for a moment and, you know, think about the things that you hear in this world or maybe the ways that you've experienced, you, you realize that it's, it's kind of typical to uh, favor one side of that over the other. Uh, for some, it's all about personal salvation. It's all about redemption. It's all about washing away of our guilt and shame. And of course, that's an important part of what the cross is. For others, it, it's, all about, uh, it, it's all about triumph. It's all about victory over systems. It's all about the darkness that is out there. That too is an important part of the crosses, but it's both. You, you can't have one without the other. Both of them are central to the ministry of Jesus. They're central to the story that God has been telling us from the very outset of the world, the story that He's telling us through the people of Israel, and He's telling us through the story of Exodus. But where does that get us? You know, if, if we say Exodus starts in this darkness, and Exodus is the story of God delivering us, not only from the darkness that is out there, but also from the darkness that is in here, or you could put it the other way, not only from the darkness that is in here, but also from the darkness that is out there, where do we end up? Uh, what what does it look like to, to be a part of that story? What does it look like to have this God as your God? And, and, and we've been talking about that in, in many ways. I mean, we've been talking about, especially here, you know, the tabernacle, the priesthood, all of these things, how they point us forward, how they inform us in terms of, you know, who we are as God's tabernacles or temples, you know, what it means to be a priest to this world. We've been talking about these, these themes. But I want to land the plane, so to speak, uh, with the end here of Exodus and see how this leaves us. Um, and I will say there is both great sort of culmination here, uh, but there is also a sense that the story's not done. You know, like any good episode, if you're reading through Star Wars or Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter, you know, when you come to the end of book two, you know, there's a, there's a satisfaction there, but you also know that the story's not done. It's not complete, and we're going to feel the same way when we come to Exodus here, which is only book two of the Pentateuch and book two of the whole Bible overall. Let's observe a couple of things about these verses. Uh, first, notice just the filling that takes place uh, when God comes in. Uh, it says, the glory covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. God, yeah, and you really have to get a sense of this. If you, if you look back, so if you have your Bible open, you know, see if you can erase that little break between 33 and 34 uh, where it says the glory of the Lord, and then even erase the word then uh, in your translation. Then is, is not in the original Hebrew. So you, you see in chapter 40, uh, as it's going through, Moses and the people are doing all according to the Lord had command them. They're building the tabernacle. They're putting the 
furniture in it. They erected the court around the tabernacle uh, and set up the screen at the gate of the court. This is verse 33, the very last piece. So Moses finished the work. The cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. There is an immediacy. There's an eagerness here uh, to God's filling as the people finish the work. Uh, immediately God is there. God is filling His tabernacle. He is surrounding it with such glory. Uh, and there's something to that. You know, this God has been a pursuing God. God uh, pursued His people when they groaned and they cried out to Him. Remember, they were worshiping other gods in Egypt. Moses had to reintroduce them to who Yahweh was. They didn't know, but God saw and He moved towards Him. When they sinned in the desert in Exodus chapter 32, again, they moved away from God, but God moved towards them. Here at the end, they finished the work and they can hardly finish it before God fills with His glory. There, there's a theme there that, that we need to grab a hold of. We, we do not have to cajole and to beg God. You know, we don't have to convince Him that we are worthy enough. And I, I know that many of us live that way. In fact, so much of religion sort of pushes us that way. It's like, make yourself look good and then maybe God will pay attention to you. But but that's not the picture of the God of the Scriptures. The God of the Scriptures, as Paul puts it in Romans, while we were yet sinners, Christ gave His life for us. He is the one that moves towards us with an eagerness, with an immediacy that we don't deserve that you could never earn. It's one of the reasons why a lot of us don't really experience closeness with God because we're trying to manage the relationship. We're, we're trying to move towards Him. We're trying to clean ourselves up through our, our moral deeds, through our, our good works, and we're not waiting. We're not allowing God to move towards us and to fill us. We're not surrendered and opened. God moves with an immediacy, and He moves in such a way that He fills the tabernacle. Notice verse 35. We're going to come back to it in a minute, but verse 35, Moses cannot enter the tabernacle. It's interesting. When we read in, in 2 Chronicles 7 or 1 Kings chapter 8, um, the Solomon dedicates the temple and in 1 Kings chapter 8, the poles were so long, they were bringing in the ark. Uh, there was nothing in the ark, blah, blah, blah. Verse 10, sorry, I was looking for it, I was reading through. Uh, the Lord made a covenant with people. When the priest came out of the holy place, a cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord had filled the house. You know, we, we keep getting this theme when God fills a place. Uh, there's no room for anything else. There's no room for you know, our own selves and, and our ideas in moving forward, God fills it uh, to such a degree. It's interesting when we come to Acts chapter 2, we hear this same type of language used. 
with regards to Pentecost. When the day of Pentecost were uh, arrived, they were together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound of mighty wind. It filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. You, you see this theme that keeps filling up, or that keeps uh, filling up, flowing out uh, over the course of the Scriptures. Every time the glory of God comes, it fills. It fills the place that is to be its receptacle, whether it's the tabernacle or whether it's the temple or whether it is you and me as the temples of the living God. Pentecost is this glory of God, the the Shekinah glory that is coming to fill you and coming to fill me as we seek to follow the Lord. Do we believe that? Do we rest in that? Have we uh, surrendered ourselves to that? Do we delight in that? Could this maybe be that inconsolable secret, that, that longing that we would experience and know this promise of God's filling in our life? I mean, it's an incredible, incredible picture, and it's incredible, incredible promise Uh, that God gives to us. Because you see, one of the results of it, of course, is that we have this guidance, this guidance from the Lord. You you see that, the end, uh, verses 36, 38, throughout all their journeys, wherever the cloud was taken up over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. The cloud was not taken out. They did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day. The fire was in it by night. In the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. One of the things that I, I love about Exodus is just this picture of journeying through the wilderness. Uh, we can relate to that. We, we, we feel what it's like to journey through the wilderness in our present days. But one of the great pictures that we have here is that we are not alone. That, that God guides us, that we can follow Him, as you see in your outline. We, we follow the one who inhabits the tabernacle. We follow the one whose glory is in our midst. We, we follow Him. And the Israelites, it's interesting to me, the Israelites just were in such a place of active passivity. Uh, we, we talk about this concept from time to time. It's, it's, I think, the best way to describe what faith looks like. Uh, we saw it in, in that one passage uh, from Exodus chapter 13 uh, where it says, stand firm and fear not. You know, there, there's something to do but there's something to observe, there's something to watch, it's just be planted. So here Israel had to wait and they had to watch, you know, they didn't know God was going to be the one leading them, they had to watch and then when God moved they, they took up and, and they followed. It, it wasn't their own ideas that were leading them, it, it was God that was leading them. But faith is this idea of trusting, of keeping our eyes on Jesus, of, uh, of following when He leads and continuing to go forward. Now, some of you say, 
that would be amazing. I mean, if only we could see that. If only we had the cloud and the fire. If only we could just wait and watch and we could just go forward. Then we would know specifically, we would know exactly what to do. But I think even as we voice that question, we know the answer to that sort of longing or objection. I know many of you do. And we have something far better than what the Israelites have. We have something far better than the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire. I mean, we, we have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. It's not out there separate from us, but it's within us. We, we have the wisdom. We have the ability to discern the will of God. We have His Word that we can follow whereby He directs us. We have even better. It's, you know, angels long to see the, the place where we are in redemptive history and to be, able to, uh, to be able to live out these promises. We have it so much better than these saints. But do we recognize it? You know, do, are we looking for it? Are, are, are our eyes on the Spirit and the Word as we seek to live our lives? God does indeed come and lead us and guide us in all of our journeys through the wilderness. I know many of you feel, you know, at your wit's end. Like, how do I handle this? How do I handle my life, the pandemic? How do I handle my unemployment? How do I handle my disease? How do I handle all of these different things? God's Word, God's Spirit, these are the things that help us go day by day. And it's not always, you know, for the Israelites, they didn't have the end of the journey. They had the next day. Until they were to go forward again, God promises us that daily bread. Here's the next step. Here's the next step. Here's the next step. But there is more. And we get a sense of that here. Verse 35 is really interesting. I said I was going to come back to it. So God fills the, the temple or the tabernacle in this case. God fills the tabernacle and Moses, as the mediator, gets ready to go in and it's like he hits a wall. Uh, he can't go in. I mean, clearly this was surprising to him. He was expecting to be able to go into the presence of God. You remember, he used to meet with God as a man meets with a friend face-to-face in the tent of meeting. Even the same language is used there. But now he stopped. What's going on here? Well, this is where we realize that Exodus, oh, it's a beautiful story, is still pointing us further. We're, we're seeing through to the heart of God, but we've got to see through even further to the fulfillment of the heart of God. Moses is a mediator, but he's not the mediator. The mediator is Christ. Moses, as a mediator, still needs a sacrifice. And that's what we find in Leviticus. So the, the whole book of Leviticus, so episode three of our five-part series, is about the mediator being prepared to go into the tent of meeting. It is a, it's a, detailed, uh, a detailed look at the sacrificial system and how it is that the mediator can go into the presence of God, and then eventually the mediator is let into the presence of God. 
So we come to sort of a cliffhanger here. It's like, how, how is this going to be accomplished? How is, how is God going to meet with his people if even the mediator cannot get in? But this is where Exodus has been pointing us all along. Because Exodus, though it is the primary story, it's the narrative that gives shape to so much of the Old Testament and the New Testament. It is a foretaste. It is a shadow of what to come. Because when we read this and we come to this cliffhanger, we understand that we need a greater mediator. We need a mediator uh, who is not only uh, the, the one who can go into the tabernacle and who needs a sacrifice, but we need a mediator who himself is the sacrifice and, and, whose, and whose blood is the blood of the Lamb that takes away our sins. You see, all of this, all of this, uh, all of these themes of Exodus that we have been looking at are fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus is the one who is tabernacled in our midst. Jesus is the one who shows us the way. Jesus is the one who fights all his and our enemies. Jesus is the bridegroom that has married his people, establishing covenant with him. Jesus is the priest. Jesus is the sacrifice, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In Him, we find the very heart of God whose mercy is true for thousands upon thousands. Jesus is the one who has set His affection on His people, His chosen ones, His treasured possession, not because of anything that we have done, but because of His mercy. And that's why when Jesus meets Moses and Elijah, on the Mount of Transfiguration, he speaks to them of his, the English word is departure, but the Greek word is his exodus, his way out. It's the way forward for you and for me. And I'll tell you, we're only, you know, part way in the story. You know, that longing that we have you know, it, it is met in Christ, but we still feel the tension of this world that we live in. But there is a time coming when that longing will be completely fulfilled, where, where, the, where the glory of the Lord will fill us, where, where the blood of the Lamb will be all that we need. If you go forward into the book of Revelation, it's amazing how many of these themes keep coming up. You know, one of the things that uh, commentators point out, when the glory of God fills the tabernacle, uh, it is the re-Edenization of the world. Uh, remember, we talked about how the tabernacle depicted the world and depicted the Garden of Eden in particular. And, and so when we were driven out, we were driven away from the presence of the Lord. So now in the tabernacle, the people come back in and they dwell once again in the presence of the Lord. It's the re-Edenization uh, of the world. 
And as we see it, as God has come, as Jesus has done his work on the cross, we find that we are that tabernacle, and that's our move forward. That's our call forward to be the re-Edenizing presence of God in this world, you know, to bring life and hope in all of the places. That's why things like kindness and gentleness and love are, are so much more affected than anger and vitriol because we, we are bringing the very presence of the Lord that heals into the midst of this world. And that's where we're going. This is Revelation 21. When you read Revelation 21, 22, you see so much of the re-Edenization of not only the world, but also the whole universe. Listen to John. He says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away. The sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride for her husband. And I heard a loud voice saying, behold. What is he saying? The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with him. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain. And he showed me the holy city coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel like jasper, clear as crystal. And I saw no temple in the city, for the temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of the Lord gives us its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. Here's here's the inconsolable secret. Here's the answer. It's the glory of God wrapped up in Jesus Christ who is the lamb, who is the priest, who is the tabernacle, who is the glory. He is the one that has come in our midst, and he is the one that is inviting us, inviting us to travel by his light. I hope your hearts are warm to that. I I hope that you can find a a place of rest, that, that the eagerness of God draws you, You can't do anything to make yourself better. You you, you can't perform enough religious duty. You you can't give enough to social causes. You, You can't do enough to make yourself better. You can only surrender. You can only come, taste, and see that the Lord is good.